Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. Last week, we started a series called Built to Last. How many of you would agree that we live in a culture and a time where things are very broken? And as things are breaking down around us, I want us to have a life that lasts. As the storms rage, as all hell breaks loose, I want us to be a people who stand firm, who are not shaken, who thrive and walk in the victory that Jesus Christ has given us. And so that's what this series is about. It's about building a life that lasts, building a marriage and a family that lasts, building a church that lasts, a church that stands firm. And so every week we're gonna be presenting a different building block. Or I should say there are three different building blocks we're gonna be presenting. Last week we started talking about the word and today we're gonna continue talking about the word, but I had them set up the building blocks up here. I don't know if the cameras can get a shot of it, but it is his word his work and his way. Somebody say his word, his work, work, work. and his his way. Those are the three building blocks that you must build your life on if you want to stand. In the Old Testament, there were three offices that worked together. You had the prophet, the priest, and the king. The prophet spoke God's word to God's people. He spoke as an oracle of God, a vessel of God. He was not the source of the word, but he was a messenger. And when he spoke the word of God to the people, it was the people's responsibility to respond in obedience. Then you had the priest. The priest worked on the behalf of the people to make offerings and sacrifices and prayers to God. The final office you had was the king. The king was God's representative here on this earth. And as long as all three of those offices were functioning properly within the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel walked in blessing and prosperity and favor and success. But as soon as one of these offices broke down or as soon as they decided to not be obedient to one of these offices, things started breaking down in their life. Why are we talking about prophet, priest, and king? Because I want you to understand that as we have moved into a new covenant through Jesus Christ, he is now our prophet, our priest, and our king. He is the one who fulfills all three of these roles, but he's better. Somebody say he's better. He's better than Moses. He's better than Isaiah. He's better than Aaron. He's better. Somebody say he's better. And so the Bible says in John 1.1, these are important. I'm going to go through a lot of scripture today, so don't feel like you have to flip there. But if you want to take notes or go back and revisit our YouTube channel or our podcast, there's going to be a lot here that you can really study and chew on. The Bible says in John 1.1 that in the beginning was the, somebody say it, Word. And the Word was with God, 
and the word was God. That right there separates us from every other religion in the world. We believe that Jesus is God, not just a good man, not a teacher, but he is God. He has always existed. He's not a person who was created and ascended to some higher level of spirituality and became a God, which some religions teach. He is God. Somebody say, he is God. God. As a matter of fact, the reason they crucified him is because he claimed to be God. It ruffled their feathers. So in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. We know that the word it is talking about is Jesus because if you go to verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became God with us, God among us, and now because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he's actually now God in us. Isn't that amazing? Jamie, we're not serving a far off distant cosmic being, and sometimes that's how we've treated it. Like there's this God out there somewhere, and if we shout loud enough, and if we do enough good things, then maybe we'll catch his attention. That's not it at all. He is with us. He is in us. I don't have to shout. I don't have to scream. All I got to do is go, Father, I thank you for being with me in this moment. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So if he is the word and he's full of grace and truth, then that means the word is what? True and graceful to the hearer. It's really amazing though, because the same word that can be graceful to a hearer can be the same word that can crush someone over their head. The same word that can be the building block you build your life on can be the same word that crushes and destroys your life depending on what side of the aisle you're on. And I'm not talking about Republican or Democrat here. For those who have received Christ are building their life on his word, but those who have rejected him at some point will be crushed by that same word. When he comes back and he is coming back, that word is like a sword, amen? Are y'all with me this morning? And so the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word of God in flesh, and he doesn't just speak on behalf of God like the other prophets. The other prophets would say, thus saith the Lord. Jesus arrives and he says, I say unto you. Why? Because he's not just a vessel carrying the word. He himself is the word. So he's not just speaking on behalf of God, but he is speaking as God. And as God, he reveals his nature to us. If you want to know what the Father looks like, look at Jesus. That's what Jesus tells his disciples. They're like, you know what, Jesus, you're talking a lot about the Father. If you'll just show him to us, it'll make a lot more sense. And he goes, have I been with you so long? Don't you know that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father? Because I and the Father are one. There's not many gods. There is one God presented in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is, Jesus is, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I want you to expand your thinking of God. I want you to expand how big God is in your mind. And understand that if he upholds the universe, if he has the ability to tell the stars where to be and where to stay, if he has the ability to make the sun do what it does and the earth to turn the way it turns and the grass to grow how it grows and the rain to fall when it falls, then surely he can handle my life. Think about it. If he can uphold the universe by the power of his word or the word of his power, then surely he can take care of me. There should never be a time in my life where I question whether or not God can help me. He is more than able. Somebody say he is more than able. Isaiah 40. Verse 8 says, the grass withers. I'm just going to give you a lot of scripture today. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of God stands forever. That means things are going to pass away. Things are going to change. But his word will remain. His word will not change. Isaiah 55, 11 says, my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is saying when I speak, things respond. If he says the sky is green, it immediately becomes green. No ifs, ands, buts about it because when he speaks, his word accomplishes wherever it has been sent. So he is our word. Somebody say he is our word. His word is what we must build our life on. But not only is his word important to me, he is also my high priest. And think about this, because Jesus doesn't just offer sacrifices to God on our behalf, but he himself is the sacrifice, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of God the world. Sometimes we just jump right over things like that and we need to let the gravity set in that Jesus took away our sin. He takes away our guilt and he imputes to us his righteousness which means when the father looks at us he doesn't see all of our past sin. All he sees is the blood of Jesus. Somebody say, he's my high priest. Jesus works on our behalf to accomplish what we cannot accomplish for ourselves. We're going to talk more about that in future weeks, but I want you to understand, that's what he does. He does for you what you cannot do for yourself. There's no way for you to save yourself. Impossible. And as king, he has complete authority over everything. 
because everything was made by him and for him. It is his word, his work, and his way. Somebody say his word, his work, and his way. This is the foundation that we must build our life on, and all three, please hear what I'm saying, all three of these must be in place. If you remove one, you start to stand on a shaky foundation. If you remove two, you're really standing on shaky foundation. If you don't have any of them, you are screwed. I'm sorry. I need to change that in my notes. <laughs> if that offended you, I'm sorry. Because I didn't purposely mean to offend you, but let's get real. If we do not have Jesus firmly situated in our life as our prophet, our word, our priest, which is his sacrifice, and as king, his authority over our life, then we begin to move into very, very shaky situations. We begin to get out of balance. When I was younger, my cousin and I set up a gym at the house. It was the original home gym, John. Before you were home gymming, John, I was home gymming. I'm just kidding. I don't know that to be a fact, but it sounds good. John is the owner of Home Gym Magazine. He runs our live stream, so a big shout out to him. You ought to throw your link in the uh, comments, John, so if people want to check you out. We should start a, a channel called Getting Buff with John. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can get this pastor in shape before 2024. We'll pray on it. Hey, faith without works, John. Dead. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not going to work out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie in the house of God. I'm just going to be honest with you. Well, I, I shouldn't say I'm not. I'm probably not. Let's give, let's give some breathing room, right? Because then if I do, then I just lied. So it's, there's, all, there's a chance, okay? But no one's going to twist my arm into doing it. <laughs> but we set up this home gym, and I don't know if you remember, like, the little plastic weights that were filled, I guess, filled with concrete, so that's the kind, it was sand, that's the kind of set that we had, and we were just little. And so we wanted to see kind of how much weight we could bench press because everyone in our family was really powerful. My father used to bench press 500 pounds. I mean, he was an ox of a man. And so we were just way into this, and it, you know, it's kind of how men, you know, show who they are. You know, I bench pressed this. And so I remember this one time we got down on the bench and we started pressing and you know that one side of you is stronger than the other. Are you aware of that? Your, your dominant side tends to be a little bit stronger. And so you're going to push a little bit harder. Well, we didn't put the collars that hold the weights in place. And so it's one of these things where, bam, bam, and it throws you out of the seat, you know. It was a catastrophe because we got out of balance. That's what happens when we don't have his word, his work, and his way in place in our life and have the proper position in our life, we get out of balance. Some people, listen, some people want his work, but they don't want his way. They want his sacrifice that forgives sins, but they don't want to surrender their life to him. Maybe you've met people like this. They're all about the grace of God. They're all about what Jesus has done on the cross. But none of them has surrendered their life to him. 
And please hear what I'm saying. True salvation is not just saying a prayer. True salvation is a life of surrender. Somebody say, it is surrender. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Then he says, do not be conformed to this world. That means don't be shaped by the culture of this world. Don't allow the culture to determine how you think, how you feel, how you respond. He says, but be transformed. How many of you understand we need to go through a transformation? That's what, that's what salvation is about. It's transformation that who you were is now dead and in Christ you are alive and you are being conformed into his image daily. It's the process of sanctification. And it is a process. It's not an immediate thing. I wish it was quicker than it is because brother still wakes up in the morning with an attitude problem sometimes. But it is a process that daily I should be coming more like him and there should be some fruit seen in my life. Why? Because I'm not saved by my works, but once I am saved, I am called into works because my desire changes completely. Now I desire to love those that I would not have loved otherwise. Now I desire to forgive those who I would not have forgiven otherwise. Not because I'm making a conscious effort to do it, but because his word is active in my life and now I'm alive in Christ, I'm a new creation and this new creation acts new. Are you with me? So it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. See, apart from a transformation, you'll never understand the will of God. Your flesh will never understand the will of God, nor will your flesh come into agreement with the will of God. That's why you have to die. I'm not talking about a physical death. I'm talking about who you are. Your sin nature has to die so that Christ may live, and that's when your eyes are open and you begin to see things differently. You begin to hear and receive things differently. Have any of you ever experienced that in your life? Like before you gave your life to Christ, there was a whole lot of things going on around you within the church thing and the Bible that just made zero sense to you. But as soon as Christ came into your life and you realized, man, I'm a sinner in need of a savior and Jesus is the one that saves me and you gave your life to him, things started, it's like, wow. The lights have come on. Why? Because he still opens the eyes of the blind. It's not just physically blind, it's spiritually blind. He still opens the ears of the deaf. And it's not just physical deafness, it is spiritual deafness. Apart from Christ, we cannot see what is right. Apart from Christ, we cannot hear what is right. And apart from Christ, we cannot do what is right. I am preaching this thing this morning. Roman, Romans, the 10th chapter, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Did you catch that? Did you really catch it? I'm going to read it again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So it's not just believing that he is God who took on flesh that came and lived a, sinful li a sinless life and died for our sins and was resurrected. It is receiving his work, but understanding now I have a confession that this God is my God. 
I'm no longer the God of my life. It's no longer my will, it is his will. And I have people on YouTube want to argue with me about things like this. But it is something that I gladly receive. It's not, it's not something that's negative that I die so that he can live. It is to my benefit that I die so that he may live. Because that's where true life is. That's where true joy is. That's where true prosperity is. It is in him. Dying to self and living in him and him living in me. No longer my will or my way, but his will and his way. Because his design for my life is the best design for my life. We should put that on a t-shirt. Those of you who like tattoos should tattoo it somewhere on your body. Make sure you add the trademark logo and pay me a commission. Because I think I came up with it. I'm not sure, but I think I did. If I didn't, it's mine now. You know, that's how preachers work, by the way, right? The first time they say it, they'll say, you know, my father used to say, God is good. Then they'd say, the next time you say it, it's, I heard somewhere, God is good. And then by the third time, it's, like I always say, God is good. But God's design for my life is the best design for my life. God's design for your life is the best design for your life. He has good prepared for you. So my confession is that he is my Lord. That's what salvation is. That I receive his work, but I also receive his way. Some people want his word but they don't understand his work, so they become legalistic. Ever met anyone like that? It becomes more about what they do than what he did. They think it is through their ability to dress the right way, to wear their hair the right way, to not put on makeup like the Jezebels out there. Don't want to look like a hussy. You know, because how many of you know holiness is how clean your face is? That's, you know, that's how it was in the Pentecostal world. It was like either, either you had to be like really, really plain Jane to be holy, or you had to have so much makeup that you looked like Miss Piggy. You know, and either way, it's like, great, I guess I'm going to marry an ugly woman, you know. <laughs> but legalistic people, legalistic people, they will take the word and they'll try to follow it to the T, but they don't understand the work that his sacrifice is what saves me. So it's all about what I do and what I accomplish, what I eat and what I don't eat. And let me tell you something, whatever you eat or don't eat is your choice, it's not a biblical law. Do you hear what I'm saying? We could go there, I remember when I was a kid we were selling sausage biscuits at the church and somebody got all up in arms that we were serving pork. Like pork may not be the best choice for your body but there's nothing in scripture that says in the new covenant, you cannot eat pork. That was old covenant, and then Jesus very clearly lets us know that that's not a part of it when he tells Peter, don't call unclean what I say is clean. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. <laughs> but we get so legalistic. I've actually seen people who consider themselves to be Christians become Jews 
because they start reading the Old Testament and they start trying to live by the Levitical laws. And you can't do it anyway. And so that kind of thinking will either lead to legalism, which will lead to pride and self-righteousness, or it will lead to frustration. Because either you will think that you are your savior based upon what you've done, or you'll get so frustrated and realize, I can't do it, that you just completely walk away. And you can't do it. You cannot live the Levitical laws. There are tons of them, even down to what you do when you've got a scab on your body. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There are tons of these things. The whole point of the law was to show us God's moral absolutes and to frustrate us towards needing a Savior, to where we go, I I know that I can't do it. So I'm not going to rely on my work. I'm going to rely on the work of my high priest, who is Christ. Some people want his way, but they don't know his word. So they make it up as they go. (laughs) When we make it up as we go, we end up building on a faulty foundation. Are y'all ready to start settling in? When we just start making things up as we go, we start building on a very faulty foundation. I want to show you what this looks like in Exodus, the 32nd chapter, starting in verse 1. Is everybody still happy with me? If you're still happy with me, just raise your hand. Some of you are like, I got to do it because he's looking at me. I know who you are. Exodus 32. Bobby, did you raise your hand? I wasn't paying attention. I didn't even look back. Good, good. Don't make me climb the chairs and preach at you. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. So Moses is on the mountain receiving the word of God. And when the people saw that he delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off your rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. I I, I just want to point out something to you. It says right here, it says that he fashioned it with a graving tool and he made the golden calf. Later on, because we're not going to get here in scripture, but later on when Moses comes down, he's like, hey, what are y'all doing? Aaron's like, I don't know. We threw the gold in the fire and out came this thing. But they were intentionally working on something, crafting something. Third the person next to you said they were working on something. So he crafted it, made the golden calf, and they said... These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This calf is the one that delivered you. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Which Lord? The cow. Just because we call it Lord doesn't mean it's a Lord. 
And that's the problem. There are many religions that will say the name of Jesus, but they're talking about a different Jesus than you. Did you know that? Mormons are not talking about the same Jesus that we are talking about today. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Hey, it's a good time. God is with us. Yes. Very nice. <laughs> so, so get this. While Moses is on the mountain hearing from the living God, the people are down in the valley creating their own God. And this is what we do. Unintentionally sometimes when we don't know his word. I brought some gold with me today. We do things like this. Well, I think, I feel, I believe, ever seen anybody do this? Well, I just think that this, or it's my belief that this, or I accept this, and God is okay with this. And my favorite is, well, granddad said this, <laughs> and grandma said this. Sometimes we even throw in a little movie quote. You know how many times when, we, when I started a church, people said to me, well, you know what the Bible says, if you build it. They will come. <laughs> That's not the Bible. <laughs> if you thought it was, now you know. That's not in the scripture anywhere. It doesn't say if you, that's filled of dreams with Kevin Costner. It's talking about a baseball field and not a kingdom of God. It's saying if you build it, the, the old baseball players will show up. But this is what we do. We keep on throwing in our opinions. Here's what culture says is acceptable, and I believe that too. Here's what the law of the land says about this, and I guess I'll go with that too. Why? Because I don't know the word. If I don't know the word, anything becomes acceptable to me. Oh, I can do this. God's grace is sufficient for me. We could go on all day, pouring in our thoughts, ideas, concepts, feelings into the box, and as soon as it hits the melting pot and starts mixing around, out comes our God. <laughs> and although our God is extremely handsome, he has no power. But what happens is we start developing a God who thinks like us, sounds like us, and feels like us because it is us. If your God is always agreeing with what you agree with, if your God loves what you love and hates what you hate to the T, this might be your sign. 
See, we talk about idolatry and we think, oh, I'd never do that, I'd never build a golden calf. We do it every day with our own thoughts, feelings, concepts, and ideas that have nothing to do with the word of God, but it feels good to us in the moment. We say things like, well, you know what? God understands that I do this, does he? Where does the word say it? Or is it your word saying it? Well, it's my body, my choice. Okay, well, where does the word say that? You know what the word does say? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That it does not belong to you because it's been purchased with a price? It's not your body and your choice anymore. It's not your will and your way. It's not I'll love who I want to love and forgive who I want to forgive, and if I'm angry, God understands. God understands why I can't forgive that person. Does he? Where does it say in Scripture, or is your God determining your response. That is so powerful, church, because you know what? I grew up in church and I had a God. And I really enjoyed my God. He walked with me and he talked with me and he tells me I am his own because I am. I'm created in his image and he's created in mine. See, get that. God created you in his image and likeness and does not give you the room to create him in your image and likeness. And here's why you need to know this, because it may be fun running around with your God for a little bit, but when all hell starts breaking out, your God has no ability to save or deliver. But when your life is built on the word of God, when trial and tribulation and challenge and persecution and all kinds of evil starts coming after you and your family, you've got something to stand on. That's the point of the parable Jesus told about the two houses that we talked about last week. He said, one man builds his house on the sand. That's the person who hears my word and does nothing with it. See, sometimes we think that we're okay because I went to church and I heard the sermon. I took some notes. But Jesus is talking directly to that individual saying, you hear my word, but you're not doing anything with it. And so you're building your life on sand. And when the storm comes, it's going to wipe you out because your life is not built on my word. But when you build your life on my word and the storm comes, it's going to beat against your house. There's going to be some pressure but you are going to stand. Why? Because you didn't just hear what I said, but you did what I said. That is huge. It's not just hearing, it is doing. It's not just his word and his work, it is his way and walking in it. Somebody say, I got to walk in it. His word is my foundation. His word is my guide. This is important. When it comes to issues in this life, I do not rely on what I think or feel. I rely on what has he said. Because his word is going to guide me. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
That means it shows me how to navigate life, and it will show me how to navigate marriage. It'll show me how to navigate business. It'll show me how to navigate my finances. But the key is, and here's the big key. Somebody say it's the big key. Once you see it, you have to walk in it. Every promise of God, every promise of God is connected to a principle. The only way to activate the promise in your life is to follow the principle that is connected to it. Are you following what I'm saying so far? I want to give you some illustrations because so many times we get into things and we're thinking, well, God's word says, but I'm not experiencing it. Well, you need to question, have I activated the principle in my life? For instance, here's one that you've probably all heard. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How many of you have ever heard that, that passage before? Maybe some, some of you have quoted that in a difficult season in your life. You're like, I know it's going to be okay because my God is going to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in and by and through Jesus Christ. And I'll shout it louder and I'll dance over it. But if I have not connected the principle to what that says, I'm not going to experience it. Do you know what the principle is? Some of you have no idea what the principle is. Okay, maybe the principle is that God is so good that he's going to supply my needs. God is good. But just because he is good does not mean I'm going to experience his goodness in every area of my life. Well, I know what it is. God is a provider, and since he is a provider, he will supply all of my needs. God is a provider. But just because he's a provider does not mean I'm going to see him provide for me in every aspect of my life until I find the principle. Let's look at this together. I'm going to read that verse now in context. I want to see if you can grasp the principle. I think you can because you are the smartest church I've ever spoken to ever in my life. I've spoken to some really dumb churches and <laughs> y'all are not one of them. I will tell you that right now. <laughs> Are y'all ready? Yeah. Philippians 4th chapter, we'll start in verse 14. The Apostle Paul says to the church, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I started my ministry, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So Paul's letting them know, I'm not trying to extract something from you, but I know that there's some fruit that's going to be added to you for what you've done. Verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. And having received from Epaphroditus, the gift you sent, a fragrant offering. The gift was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. Did you catch it? Did you catch the principle there? 
Generosity unlocked the door to their blessing. Because God gives seed to the sower. If you're not sowing and scattering seed, why would he place seed in your hand? Does that make sense to you? So it's very clear here that God, Paul is emphatic, God is going to supply your needs because you have been generous to his cause. God's going to take care of you because you honor what he is wanting to do in this earth. And that is God's nature. Listen, I am a tither. I have been a tither for a very long time, and I will train and teach my children to tithe because I have seen the principle and the promise in his word. And people will try to argue that tithe is old covenant, not new covenant. Yet Jesus says, give to God what belongs to God. Well, what belongs to God? A lot, including the tithe, he says. The tithe belongs to me. It is holy unto me. And people say, well, that's before Jesus died. So they were still in the old covenant. Okay, let's move into past Jesus' death. God says, if I am your father, where is my honor? In other words, you're saying that God is your father, but where is the honor that you're giving him? He lets us know that one of the ways that we honor him scripturally is with our wealth. Because it shows that I am not going to serve money as my God, but I'm going to serve God with my money. It shows that God is the source and provider of my life. Are you following what I'm saying? So here's the question. Is God in the new covenant after Jesus' death still a father? Should you honor your father? So I'll I'll leave that there for you to figure it out. But as for me and my house, I will serve God. I will honor God with everything that he has placed in my hand, my life. That means my talent, my effort, my energy, and my finances because it all comes from God. Let's look at another one, Isaiah 26.3. I'm just trying to show you how these principles link to the promises because people are thinking, well, God's going to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon me that I cannot contain. Eh, wrong, nope. Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You can't fill your mind with garbage and expect peace. Well, God, you're the prince of peace. Fill me with your peace, oh God. Peace, peace, wonderful peace. Is the piano on? Is it on, John? Turn it up. How do you turn it up? You're wasting my sermon time. (laughs) Is this a piano or what is this? Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit. I just thank you for your peace this morning. 
Not if my mind's not if my mind is not stayed on the Lord. See, I can't just turn to anything and everything. This is fine. Just test the mood. It's going to be more impactful. You screwed the impact up. There it is again. Do you feel the anointing? Just settle back into the... If you're watching online, I apologize. You can't feel... Are y'all coming back next week? <laughs> y'all let me know whether or not I should show up and prepare, because if y'all aren't coming back, we'll just... You can't fill your mind with anything and everything and expect his peace. You can't fill your mind and your life with darkness and expect to walk in light. It's very important. It's very important what we're focusing on. What are we feeding ourselves with? What kind of news are we searching out and feeding on? Let me tell you something. I don't care what the news says. I don't care what they're saying about the economy because I function in a different kingdom. I function in the kingdom where God supplies even in the midst of drought. And since my mind is stayed on him, I'm going to have perfect peace. And I've got hope because I know that no matter what happens, we win because of Jesus Christ. I want to close with this scripture. Actually, let me say a few things. I'll say it very quickly. We're talking about application of his word. James 1, through 25 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. If you're only listening and not doing, you are deceiving yourself. Isaiah 1.19, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. So it's the willing, Mike, and the obedient, those who see the word and apply the word. God tells Joshua, he says, I want you to meditate on my word day and night. Why? So that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. I challenge you. Here's the challenge I have for you. Start getting into the scripture, seeing what it says about a specific area in your life, and start applying the principle and watch what happens. What is it that you need? It is all found in Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? He is the all-sufficient one. Joy, peace, love, belonging, all comes from Jesus. And as you start tapping into what he has said and his word and knowing him and understanding him and applying his principles, you're going to see fruit in your life. And the study of scripture is not so that we get fat on head knowledge. It is so that we come to an understanding of who he is so that we see Jesus clearly. That is what it's all about, seeing Jesus clearly. Now here's the verse I'll close with. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. You can't just listen to any voice and expect to walk in the blessing of God. 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, the person who is blessed, their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night, feeding on the word. I go to, I go to bed at night listening to the word. When I ride around in my car, I'm listening to worship. I'm listening to the word. Why? Because that's more beneficial to me than the Beatles. And I love the Beatles. Verse 3, this person who meditates, who delights, who obeys, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in every season. It yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does he prospers we live in a broken world and things are continuing to break down around us but you don't have to be broken and you don't have to break down because Jesus makes you whole the word of God, Jesus Christ, came to make you whole, mentally whole, physically whole, emotionally whole, spiritually whole, financially whole. You can be whole in every aspect of your life. His word offers the path that leads to life. And every other path leads away from it. That's why it's so important for us to digest what I was saying today about developing our own God. Because this guy is going to take me into a path of destruction. And you may not see it now, you may not understand it now, you may not feel it now, and you may think it's okay now but there comes a time there comes a time where you start to realize man this guy this guy has messed up things severely and when you get to that place that's a good place to be because you're not without hope that's the moment that your eyes shift to Jesus and you realize you're the king and I want your way and I want to destroy, man, I want to destroy this so that Christ can live in me.